Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Let's talk about one man. A man named John who lived 2,000 years ago and had a best friend named Jesus. Well, hold on, that was like super cheesy. Alright, can we start again? Is that okay? Cut. This is the story of a friendship of two people, one man, one God. Cut. It's a buddy comedy for the ages, which the hijinks of two friends traveling around the Middle Eastern desert facing Pharisees and the devil and evil forever, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Oh, wait, that's, that's just wrong. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm sorry. The book of John has a level of intimacy that the other gospel writers just don't quite have. If you've been around Dwell Church for very long, you know that we've been going through the book of John since we started in October of 2008, and now we are reaching the finale, and so I thought my uh, favorite thing that I want to do right in this moment is to actually look at the life of John through his relationship with Jesus and to look at this book as a whole, thinking primarily about its author. John and Jesus had a very close relationship. Scholars figure that the three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written earlier than John, and they were written sort of as like a historical uh, evidence, as if to say, like, here's the story of Jesus so that you can test it against other historical things so that you can know that it's true. They even cited more uh, Old Testament scripture and tried to uh, tie it all together to show that Jesus was who scripture foretold. But John was different. His reads much more like a great story about someone who loved someone else very, very much, or rather that someone that was loved by someone very much. In fact, throughout the book, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You actually saw it in our text today. Whenever he came to a part of the story, uh, when he's talking about himself, he'd be like, so Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved were hanging out. And that's actually what he used to replace his name. Now, uh, I've done a lot of thinking about this. Uh, and at first blush, you think, like, why did he call himself that, right? Like, uh, okay, uh, we're going to try something new. You know, this is new technology. Can we do the, like, Sesame Street thing where I move my hands and words pop up? So, uh, hypothesis one, maybe he was the only person that Jesus loved. Well, I think we can pretty easily say that's true, Jesus loves, or not true, Jesus loves everyone, strike that one out, okay? So, hypothesis two, maybe he was the person that Jesus loved the most. Well, maybe, but it seems unlikely that Jesus would pick favorites in this way, or that John would necessarily know it if he did. I think that from a human perspective, uh, I could even buy that Jesus treated people differently, In fact, you could see that pretty easily from the text. Uh, He had these 12 disciples that were really close to him, and then he had three that were actually even more close to him. They would go out separately from the rest of them. They would uh, go off and pray. They'd go off to a mountainside, something like that. But did he love them more? I don't necessarily think so. In fact, I'm not even sure, when you think about it, that Jesus actually could love anyone more. I mean, he loves us to a level that we really can't even understand, a level that makes our puny human love look so frail and small in comparison. How then are we to assume that at his infinite levels of love, that there's actually levels in between that, and he loves some people more than the others? I, I don't really think that's what John is trying to say here. 
I mean, uh, to compare the two types of love, like uh, our love is like, you know, I'm going to love you as long as you're good to me or as long as you fulfill certain requirements. The Jesus love is like, you're going to be my enemy. You're going to be opposed to me. You're going to be actively working against my rule and reign of the universe, which is righteous. And because of that, I'm going to love you so much. I'm going to come down to earth and die for you. That's a level of love that we can't even comprehend. And he did that for every person on the planet. So to assume that he just loved this one guy that much more seems a little bit far-fetched. So, uh, wrong. Let's strike through that one, too. Hypothesis three. Maybe it was more about John than it was about Jesus. So check this out. Maybe it wasn't a statement about Jesus so much as it was a statement about how John felt about his relationship with Jesus. As if in this simple phrase, he was telling us that he didn't want to be known by the name John anymore. Instead, he didn't want any praise or any glory for his part in the story. He didn't want uh, to be known or to be this, you know, celebrity or something like that. He didn't even want to even potentially overshadow anyone else in the story. He wanted to be known for being someone who was loved by Jesus. So he said, my name is now the disciple whom Jesus loved. Think about that. I mean, really, this is the goal, folks. To have your identity so superseded by the love that Jesus has for you. In fact, actually, that's true whether you realize it or not. Like, whether you recognize that being loved by God is the most important thing about you or not, uh, it still remains true. In fact, maybe the goal in life isn't even so much to, you know, it's definitely not to try and earn this love that Jesus has for you, but instead it's the goal in life is to learn that it is actually true. The goal in life is not to work really hard so that you can get Jesus to love you, but just to actually convince yourself that it is actually there. And all the while, while we're down here debating, like, does Jesus love me? Does he not? Does he exist? Does he do this? Does he do that? Does he do this? Whatever. He is up there in heaven still loving us with this infinite amount of love that we cannot even wrap our minds around. You want an identity that you can't lose. You are loved by God. You want an identity that is bigger than where you are from and what you do? You are loved by God. You want an identity identity that is bigger than you, that is bigger than right now, that is bigger than the power that you have, bigger than your abilities, bigger than like what you bring to the table, bigger than any sort of qualifier about you? You are loved by God, and that is the most important thing about you. John, after spending so much time with Jesus, learned this, that the most important thing about him was that he was loved by God. So then, the point of this book seems twofold. One, John is writing a eulogy for the best friend that he has ever had. He's getting a little bit later on in life and decides to sort of reflect back so that other people might know about this Jesus. And two, He actually gives us an expressed purpose of what this book is about by saying it is so that you may believe. So first, the eulogy. John is clearly trying to put on paper, or uh, papyrus, whatever, uh, the thoughts and all of his feelings towards the death of his friend Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, He chooses to do it with a beautiful story of his life. He opens with something that is pure theological poetry. If you do nothing else after listening to this and thinking about John, I want you to go back and read John chapter 1. 
He opens by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to paint this entire picture that climaxes with the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, which is really just a beautiful and poetic retelling of all of human history leading up to this moment. And he's not, you know, doing a typical eulogy thing where he opens telling a really corny joke or an embarrassing story about the deceased. Uh, he's actually just trying to make an attempt, and, he, and I think he does it beautifully, make an attempt to try and put into words what he is thinking and feeling. I mean, this man has spent time with God incarnate, and now he's trying to use his feeble human imagination to even wrap his mind around it and tell other people about it. He goes on to tell of how he and Jesus met, told about different interactions that he and Jesus had, and particularly the effect that it had on him. He tells of his fellow companions like Peter and Thomas and Judas even. He tells of the big moments and the small moments, and he does a really, really great job of like painting the picture for us, right? Like Nicodemus just doesn't come up to him asking questions. He comes up to him in the night under the shroud of darkness. Peter doesn't just deny Jesus. He actually denies him, and then the final rooster crows in that moment, almost like a, a big, beautiful moment. It is just artfully and amazingly written, just like Dashboard Confessional. Now bear with me, uh, you guys know those early Dashboard albums. Uh, if you don't know, uh, uh, A, you should probably give it a listen, I think you have the time, and B, you don't know what love is yet. I'm sorry, you might think that you do, but hearing Chris Caraba throw down some like really throat-wrenching lyrics uh, that comes straight from the pain and depths of his soul while laying it over some like really clever guitar licks is just some sort of magic, and that's how you learn what love is. It's, it's for real. Uh, that's kind of what good art is, especially like love songs. It's like this weird, beautiful combination of lyrics and music or, or maybe visuals or film or, or all different kinds of uh, methods and modes of arts that try to combine something and create something that is bigger than can just be put into normal words. It's bigger than we can just describe. It's bigger than facts. It's bigger than just sort of like normal, everyday, commonplace language that we have for stuff. It actually transcends that. You see, art is the natural outflow of us trying to capture something too big or too beautiful for mere facts to contain. And that beauty, that artistic expression, that's what John does here. If you do nothing else after listening to this, I would just, uh, I already said you should listen, you should read chapter one, but you really should just take this week and read the entire thing. I mean, it's 21 chapters, you can do three chapters a day, uh, but I don't even think you'll be able to stop with three chapters a day. It is definitely short enough to where you can do it all in one sitting. And as you're reading, here's the challenge. It can be very easy to read uh, the Bible as like a, as a historical document where you're like, well, what do I think about this? What do I think about this? And I'm you know, trying to figure this out and yada, yada. Or you can even read it like a textbook where it's like, what's this trying to teach me? What's he trying to say? What does this mean? What does this mean about Jesus? What does this mean about John? Whatever. I would challenge you. Read it like a love story. Read it like a, a story from one friend to another that we can't even comprehend. Read it, maybe even trying to wrap your mind around what it would take for someone to change their identity to where they don't even want to name themselves in their own story. They want to be named as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
Ask yourself that question, reading every single page. What would it take? What would it take for Jesus to love me that much and for me to actually understand and grasp it that much to where I don't even want my name anymore. I just want to be known as someone who is loved by Jesus. Also read it knowing that John tells us his expressed purpose in chapter 20. He says this, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How about that? This entire piece of art stems from a desire that others might believe in Jesus, believe in this Jesus that John had found, and that by believing they might have life in his name. Story is powerful. It has so much strength, so much ability to change us, to be able to tell us about the world and about ourselves and to transform us. Story is extremely powerful. And I think as you're reading through the book of John, you really, really see that. You see that coming out. You see that, uh, you know, he's not presenting like a logical argument for Jesus. He's not just trying to go out there and say like, well, here's seven reasons why you should believe in Jesus. You should do it today. Sign on the dotted line and you'll be done. No, he is telling a story so that you may believe. And that is infinitely more powerful. I think it actually speaks well uh, to our present cultural moment as well. Uh, gone are the days, and this is not, you know, because of COVID or anything like that, but it is just a, a, a sign of our times of how we live. Gone are the days where, you know, we want to have these, like, religious debates and see who's better and then walk away with a winner and loser. Gone are the days where we even want to talk about religious beliefs or anything like that. Like, like people feel uncomfortable with that very topic. They, they want to avoid it most of the time at all costs. But a story is different. A story is something that no one can disagree with. A story is something that can transform and change lives. A story has the power to reach deeper into someone's soul than mere facts can. And you know what's amazing is like John uh, put this work, put this effort into writing this text, and then it was passed down to you through the ages. Think of all the like careful Christian uh, historians and records keepers who are like zealously keeping track of this document so that it, it, can, it can end up in your hands today. John put all this effort into it, but at the heart, he's really just writing about his experience with Jesus. I wonder what your experience with Jesus is. Like, what's the story that he's writing in your own life? Because if it's true that Jesus doesn't love John any more than he loves you right now, then the story that he is writing of his interaction with you, his salvation work in you, his sanctification work continually working in you, his interactions and peace giving and love giving to you, if all of that is happening to the same degree that it was happening to John back then, then I believe your story is just as beautiful as John's is. And for us, to have something like that, to have something that beautiful and to just uh, be greedy and selfish with it, to hide it from the world, to keep it solely to ourselves, I think is a travesty. 
Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has done everything for me. Jesus has loved me more than anyone else ever could or will. Jesus has put up with so many failures on my part, so many sins and errors and times when I am running away, and yet he has been kind and he, is, he has loved me. And that is a story worth telling. I believe you have a story that is just as beautiful because you are just as loved by the king of the universe. So my challenge to you throughout this week as you're reading through John, as you're checking out and reliving this beautiful story of Jesus, think about your own story. Maybe you want to write it down. Maybe you want to present it. Maybe you want to post it on Facebook as a video. Whatever it is that you want to do. Maybe you just want to tell your neighbor about it. Make it a story uh, that you want to tell. Make it a story that people want to hear. Make it a story of, and I'm not saying embellish it, but I'm just saying make it uh, this beautiful story that it actually is. Spend some time working on it and shaping it and seeing sort of the beauty and the grace that God has given to you through his love. And I believe in the simple exercise of recognizing your own story and sharing it with someone else. You're going to be reminded that much more that at the end of the day, no matter what, you are a person whom Jesus loves. If you're in a moment where you're like not knowing who you are, where you're worried about your identity, where you're questioning things, that's an excellent moment to tell your story, to write your story, to think through your story and remind yourself that your first and foremost identity has been and always will be that you are a person who is loved by God. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.